Hello everyone and welcome to episode four of the Coffee and Coaching podcast. Today we're going to explain how to get you peeled. We're going to be talking about how to set up um, a dieting phase and go through some commonly asked questions that, that people have once we've gone through it all. What coffee have you got today, Jack? I've got a new belt one, mate. I've had a good one. Oh, from, thank, um, thank you, I've got a new one from Lidl, from Lidl of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Java, Java, something it's called, but it's really nice, like a little bit chocolatey. It's a strength five, but it's it's nice, you know, like I'm strong, but yeah, it's uh, it hasn't got that like bitter taste that some strong coffees normally have. It's nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've stepped the game up majorly this week, you know. I know, tell me all about it. I've seen a lot of fucking oh, seen a lot of coffee things getting sent to your house this week. <laughs> I was just sat there one one evening bored I don't know my work and I was like what can I do to entertain myself so I just started watching videos on coffee and then got really excited ordered an air press ordered three different types of coffee ordered a coffee grinder which came yesterday and then forgot to order coffee beans so <laughs> I've ordered loads of ground coffee without any actual coffee beans so then when the grinder came now I've ordered loads of beans on top of that, so I've got like fucking about five bags of coffee. Do you know what I seen the other day as well? What? Remember the first gym we worked at? Remember the coffee shop next oh, door? Yeah. He's moved to Chester now, and obviously they're not open at the minute either. Mm-hmm. He's delivering coffee beans out. Don't mess. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to get on. Remember how nice their coffee was? They used to have heavy coffees. I still haven't bought you one. <laughs> <laughs> Ten coffees deep. <laughs> at least 30 at least 30 coffees deep bit of context for everyone I every morning someone would bring coffees in at about 10 o'clock for the whole gym and not once did I ever ever go to the shop and buy anyone a coffee but every single morning I would request a coffee from whoever, whoever went you all in serious coffee death became a running joke didn't it <laughs> Hilarious. And then one day I brought I brought someone in coffee and then f- forgot to get like four people that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Just bring them one coffee in. Yeah. Um. Right. So should we sort of talk through the topics we're going to cover today? Then. Yes. Yes, we should. Um. I think we need to before we go into actually like how to set up a dieting phase you need to talk about sustainability yep because you can you could have the perfect diet or the perfect meal plan or whatever it is you could set up your dieting phase to be absolutely um, untouchable and it could be absolutely incredible but if you can't stick to it then it's absolutely pointless you are, you did the post about this the other day Jack didn't you yeah. you, know, you could have explain. the perfect on paper perfect nutrition plan but never be able to implement it because it's too complex or it's too difficult or it doesn't fit in with your daily routine. And it doesn't matter how good that 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 plan might hit every single thing that a nutrition plan needs to eat needs to hit. The meal timings could be perfect. The the, the makeup of each meal could be absolutely perfect for your goal and fit around what time you train. But if you can't implement them foods then it's not sustainable and it's, it's it's pointless. It may as well not exist. 
Um, yeah. Whereas a good plan that fits, that hits the major points or the new, the major nutrition goals that you need, and you can apply that to everyday life, is gonna see much greater results and much greater return for your investment and your time than a plan that you can't implement at all, no matter how good it is. Yeah, definitely. And even if somehow you can, you can through through gritted teeth get through a unsustainable program and achieve the results you want. Well, there's got to be a point where you it has something has to give. You can't continue to to um, adhere to this unsustainable program for the rest of your life. And <clears throat> when you get to the end of of that tether, you're going to rebound and you're going to put weight back on and whatever you're not going to be able to stick to it for the rest of your life you're going to start then to develop poor relationships with food and everything like that and it's just it's it's, it's a bad way to, to set up so when we're looking to create a sustainable plan for someone obviously the first the first thing that happens when a client comes in is we'll obviously ask them lots of lifestyle questions in the initial consultation and look then to develop the program around that lifestyle hopefully making it as realistic um as as possible straight from the off and then as the weeks go by we'll look at how they how they're um, getting on with the program if they're able to stick to it if it's really easy for them to stick to and if it's really if it's too difficult for them to stick to sustainably then we'll make adjustments so for me again the lifestyle is a massive thing um that you need to take into accountability uh, into account. Um, so, for me, for for diet to be sustainable, it needs to match as closely as possible the person's current lifestyle and habits. Now, obviously, from our point of view, the current lifestyle and habits of a lot of the people we work with aren't getting them the results they want. So, it does require some level of change. But the closer we can match it to what they do now. So, for example, if someone works in an office and they go out to lunch every day and they go to the same coffee shop every day for lunch, that's their habit, that's their routine. So telling them that they need to take Tupperware in or make a sandwich or bring something into work makes that more difficult compared to simply going on the website of the cafe they go to and finding food choices that better fit their their goals and better fit their 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 nutrition goals. So that's one way that we build that I build sustainability into someone's diet is keeping that habit of them going to the place where they go every day and just changing the food choices or giving them better, more optimal food choices in the said coffee shop. Um, same for uh, like Friday, Saturday, Sundays is always a big one for people that we work with. So yeah. people could be absolutely on their diet Monday to Friday and they come to us and say, I struggle on the weekend. And that's why they've come to us for help because they know how to eat right. They know the foods that they should be eating and they sort of know how to eat the right foods to lose weight. However, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it goes out the window. So it's there where we try and address the issues to build sustainability in. The diet needs to fit around 
their life on the weekend. People's lives aren't just going to stop on the weekend because they want to lose a bit of weight. So we have to find ways of fitting into their life to make it achievable. So if people, again, if people go out for meals on the weekend or they order a certain Chinese on the weekend or things like that, can we give them a fake away option? Can we give them a, a takeaway option? They can make a home that is a lot less calories, that that is, is very similar to what they eat. Even getting them to put it in takeaway tins to, to have that more psychological feeling of eating a takeaway. If they're eating meals out, can we give them better food options in the restaurants they, in the restaurants they go to? And also just changing lifestyle factors to make it more sustainable. So if they're struggling with their diet because of the people around them or they're struggling with their diet because of the eating off their kids' food when they take the plates out to the kitchen or they're snacking on food as they're making the kids' food, With this is where we look to put things in place in their diet to make it more sustainable. Um, another big thing I feel is people won't eat for long periods of time because they won't prioritise eating. And then when they get home at the end of the day, they might not have yet from like nine o'clock in the morning until six o'clock at night. By the time they get home, they've they've got a massive craving for food and will will overeat. So again, we try and emphasise the importance of eating even small meals throughout the day to reduce the chance of overeating later on in the day. And this is just another way we build sustainability into a diet to make it last long term. Yeah, I think what's worth mentioning here as well is you, you, you're the first person who ever said this to me. I've heard it a few, a few times. No such thing as a bad food. And I think a lot a lot of clients that come to me think that they're not allowed to eat like bread is a, is a huge, a huge one. Yeah. People think they're allowed to eat bread. And obviously they'll try and stay clear of pizzas and burgers and stuff like that and whatever. Or they'll think, oh, I can't eat cereal. I eat cereal every single day. I've literally just eaten 200 grams of cereal. It's like half a box. Yeah. <laughs> people think that you're, you're not allowed to eat these bad foods part of creating a diet that's sustainable is having a good um, relationship with food and understanding that you can you can eat any type of food if you enjoy it you've just got to make sure that it, it's worked into your plan correctly um, which feeds actually nicely into into calories we're going to talk about calories soon if your calories match you can you can literally eat whatever you want I'm not really a if it fits your macros kind of guy, but I am to some degree, like I think you want to have your nutrition as optimal as possible. So eating clean or however you want to phrase it, eating good, good foods is probably the most optimal, but eating a burger every now and then, if it fits your macros is fine. Like I seen on your story, Jack, a fucking cheese filled burger. That looked incredible. Yeah. Rachel's cheese filled burger. Like, She's she's testing my ability to to prep at the moment. <laughs> but no, she again. If you can make it fit, like you've just said there, if you can make it fit, one your calories because they they, they override everything. Two, if you can make it fit your calories and your macros, amazing. And three, if you can make it fit your calories, your macros, and it's like nutrient dense food rather than. Mm-hmm. processed food 
but it's still the food that you're craving and you've just made changes to it, then you're ticking all the boxes and you still get yep. to eat the food you like. If you're craving, exactly. If you're craving a burger rather than going to Five Guys or McDonald's or wherever it is and you make a beef burger at home with 5% mince and you put some veg in there and you put some onions in with the burger and stuff like that, you, you, you've, you've, you've massively improved the the quality, the nutrient quality of that of that food that you've been craving. Yeah, definitely. And as well, you're reducing the risk of, of, of a binge, I feel. If you feel like you want a burger and then you don't eat one, well, now you're thinking about that burger for the next three weeks and then you cave and yeah. you eat seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah, no good. It's, and it's that it's no joke. That is exactly that is what will happen. Like over restriction will create that binge and I think it's something yeah. that we, me and you both well I definitely try and instill it in my, in my coaches and you definitely instill it in, in your clients that over restriction yeah. is, needs to be avoided at all costs I got first hand experience when I finished the course last year I literally ate about three pizzas a day because I went I went to Italy immediately after the yeah. I ate about three pizzas a day and just couldn't stop eating and it's just because the the diet and nature was restrictive and unsustainable, which you've got to do if you want to get that lean. But it's just it has a humongous effect on your relationship with food. Definitely, and if not managed properly, <clears throat> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna end up in a bad place. So definitely, let's move on to calories. Why are they important? Why do we harp on about them as coaches all the time? I think it would be worth defining what a calorie actually is I mean it's, it's hard to define but people are sort of like what, what is it like what actually is a fucking calorie yeah it's just a measure of how much energy is in your food that, that's simply so we eat food for energy so if you eat a piece of food that's got 100 calories in or if the food that you eat in a day has got 2,000 calories in and you burn off 2,000 calories then that means your weight stays the same and what we're trying to do in a fat loss phase is make sure that the amount of energy you take in from food is less than the amount of energy you burn off in a day. And that will result in your body taking energy from fat stores and breaking it down so that you can survive. And that is how we lose fat. It's just when your calorie intake is less than your calorie expenditure throughout the day. Yeah. Nail on the head. Um, I like that. It's just, it's just a measure of energy. I, explain it to some people that it's like putting fuel in the car if you yeah. put 2,000 litres of petrol in your car fucking hell that's a big a big car big car, mate, big car. <laughs> you put 2,000 litres of petrol in your car and you drive somewhere that takes 2,500 litres of petrol you're going to need to get fuel from somewhere else and yeah. in the human, that's somewhere else is your store body fat. I like that. You know me, I'm a simple human and I need things to be really simple for my simple brain to understand them. <laughs> no, I like it though, I like it. Um, um, so how, how do we determine calories? What what dictates calories? For If you are, you've just got a client come to you, you've only just met them, you've done your consultation and you're about to set them up with their initial plan, what are you considering for 
their calorie intake, their goals, fat loss. They want to lose, let's say, they want to lose a stone and they've got three months. What are you thinking? What are, What's your approach to setting up someone's calories? So what we'd have to do straight from the off is work out how many calories they're currently burning and then we'd work out how much of a deficit we need to put them in to get them to their weight goal in a certain time. So how much, how many calories you're currently burning is, is the first thing that, that needs to be worked out and that's sort of comprised of, of a few components for what we can sort of do to make it a little bit easier for those listening if you want to work out your calories instead of doing all madness all, all crazy mathematical equations is just work out your BMR and then times it by activity factor and your BMR can be worked out quite easily there's hundreds of, of equations online um, if you know your age which it'd be a bit ridiculous if you didn't your height and your weight you'll probably find an equation online um, I use I can't even remember what it's called but one that takes into accounts fat mass, lean body mass, um, age, height, and a few other bits and bobs, sex. And that will basically generate a, a value for BMR. And BMR is basically the amount of calories that your body burns just by being alive. You could lie in bed with your eyes closed all day and how many calories you burn just doing that is what your BMR is. Then you can times your BMR by activity factor. So the more active you are throughout the day, the more calories you burn. So you can take that BMR value and apply an activity factor. So for most people, times in it by 1.55 is what will generally be the case. But it depends upon how active you are. If you're really active, you'll burn many more calories throughout the day. When you have how many calories you burn, you then need to work out how much weight you want to lose each week. So if you want to lose a stone in three months or whatever it is, you want to work out how much weight you need to lose in a week. And then what I would do is get clients to track their weight across the week, put them into a deficit that I think is appropriate to achieve that weight loss, depending upon, again, more, more calculations. But I think the best way to do it for anyone listening, unless you really want to get into the nitty gritty, the physiology is just increase your calorie expenditure, decrease your calorie intake and watch what your weight does. If your weight is coming down too slowly, just move a bit more and eat a bit less. If your weight's coming down too fast, we'll give yourself a little bit more food and and then make sure that you're losing the correct amount of weight each week to get you towards your goals, towards the, the, the end the of the fat loss phase what would you do Jack? Uh, I think just to touch on what you just spoke about there I think the biggest thing um, for anyone listening who is wanting to achieve fat loss is that you need to start recording things like data is key to progress just aimlessly like guessing that you're eating a little bit less or guessing that you're moving a little bit more just doesn't cut it because it is. It's, it's. It's essentially a science. What we're trying to achieve here. It's. We're trying to achieve scientific reactions within your body to lose weight, and that yeah. requires data, and it requires us to make specific changes to variables such as how much you're moving and how much you're consuming. 
So if you know as closely as possible roughly how many steps you do a day or how often you walk a day. So for a lot of people I work with or a lot of people we work with at Silverjacks might not have like a fitness watch or they might not track their steps on their phone. So we'll just ask them roughly put a number on how many minutes you walk a day. It takes you 10 minutes to get from the car to work. It takes you 10 minutes to get back and you go for a 10 minute walk to and from the coffee shop on your lunch break. So there's 40 minutes. Okay, right. Well, we can now increase that to 60 or we can increase that to an hour and a half and just make yourself conscious that you're now moving for an hour and a half every day. And the exact same with calories. You yeah. can't, you can't make any adjustments to your calories until you know how many calories you're consuming at the moment. So whether you start mm. tracking your food, whether you do a food diary or whether you've been given a set amount of calories to go off by, by a coach who's made the calculations for you, you need to know, you need to know what that number equates to so that you can make changes. And that's why we set a calorie goal because you need numbers to change. You can't, uh, although it, 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 it is as simple as, as Isaac's just said, moving, moving more and eating less. It's fine. That's fine in theory, but actually applying that requires some knowledge of things yeah. that are going on around it. Um, it requires lo- lots of accuracy. You can't sort of just blindly do yeah. um, um, I think tracking tracking food is hugely important. What are you going to say something then? I just interject. No, yeah, I was going to yeah, just saying that like you you, you need to track it. Um, in terms of us setting up our clients. We follow pretty much the same principles. Um, I follow a little bit of an easier um, method of calculating someone's calories. Just again, because I'm a simple human, um, it won't. It, it isn't as accurate as the process you use. Um, but in my opinion, I feel like that initial calorie amount that you set someone is is it's half a stab in the dark because you you don't really know them yeah, that yeah. well you're going off information that they're giving you that they might not be 100% sure on. And so it is a little bit of guesswork until you've spent a week or two or or even the first month getting to know them and getting to know what's working and what isn't. It's a bit of a stab in the dark, so I just keep it really simple. And depending on how much that person moves from just speaking to them on their initial assessment or their initial call, um, I will times their body weight in pounds by anywhere between... 10 and 14 that will give me a number in the thousands and that will be their initial calorie goal to lose weight um if they're very active say they train five six days a week uh, and move around a lot and they've got a job that involves them standing up then i will times their body weight in pounds by 14 if they sit down all day and don't really move then i will times it by 10 and then anywhere in between that just depending on obviously um different factors in their lifestyles yeah so that's us nailed yeah. the client's calories um depending on where someone's at in their training this is for, for me personally anyway depending on where someone's at in their training their knowledge and experience is whether or not i will set specific macro goals um but what we're going to talk about next is macros why they're important why we set them when we set them and 
how we prioritize how we prioritize which macros need to be hit overall and how we, how they sit in sort of the order of order of priority depending on what's going on before we move on to macros Jack should we talk about um how much of a of a deficit we think is acceptable because I think a lot of people going back to sustainability again right they, they might know how many calories they're burning say they're burning 2,000 calories a day and they know that well maybe they want to see ridiculously fast results and they decide that, right so I'm going to eat a thousand calories I think right you might lose loads of weight but it's completely unsustainable and what you also need to consider is the bigger the deficit the more muscle you're going to lose and I always say when we're looking to change or we're looking to improve body composition in a dieting phase, what you're literally trying to do is create or we're trying to reduce body fat and retain as much muscle tissue as possible. But if you go into a 1,000 calorie deficit, you're, if, if you go into a 50% deficit, let's say from 2,000 to 1,000, you're going to lose fucking loads of muscle. So what you would say once you've worked out your calories is don't be a fucking imbecile and go and drop your, your intake by like ridiculous amounts yeah like two three hundred to start off with is adequate then increase your activity and then you do it in drips and jabs you don't want to literally straighten the off drop your calories all the way because now what we see with that is lots of you'll lose your metabolic rate which is basically how many calories you burn in the day what we were talking about before your BMR, not your BMR won't change, but the other factors will. So how many calories you burn simply just by um, fidgeting, walking around, you, you, your body will sort of want to, it'll want to retain, it will want to reduce the amount of energy that you're burning because it's in such a, a deficit, it will feel like it's in in sort of a, a starvation yeah, period. Yeah, it'll almost start, so your start body will make you be lazy. Better. Yeah, you'll start talking a bit slower, you'll blink slower, you'll be less inclined to stand up and get the remote to change the volume, and all the tiny things like that will reduce the amount of calories you burn in the day. So if you straight away go and drop your calories by a 1,000, and now you're on 1,000 calories, well, your metabolic rate's going to come down very fast, you're going to lose lots of muscle, and then now you're not burning as many calories, so you actually, the deficit gets smaller and smaller and smaller and to the point where you're now maintaining on 1,000 calories. And now you're fucked because if you want to lose more weight, you've got to drop it even lower and it's completely ridiculous. When it gets to the point where you can't drop your, your calories any lower, you sort of stuck. So it needs to be slow and sustainable. Drop your calories a little bit, increase your energy expenditure, drop your calories a bit more, increase your expenditure and do it slowly and then drips and drops slowly slowly catchy monkey <laughs> what I've never heard, heard that. that before ah I'm old nah, is that a well known phrase yeah. is it I'm saying it's a thing anyway I believe you yeah definitely um, sustainability ties into everything everything that we do um, yeah. and uh, uh, although I think it's especially in in the in the world we live in at the minute, it's very fast-paced and people expect things to happen overnight because you can get next-day delivery, you can go on the internet and search and find an answer straight away, you can get food delivered to your door within 10 minutes, it, everything quick, 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 whereas fat loss isn't. You can't no. speed fat loss 
up to a certain extent. You can, but for it to be healthy and sustainable, it happens at the rate it happens, and that's just the way it is. And if you want long-term sustainable fat loss, you need to just understand that it it's a it takes time. Um, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong on the figures, but you're looking to lose two percent of your body weight per week. I think it's one. one. I think well, well, I just got this from Lane Norton. I don't know if what the what where where you got two percent from, but Lane Norton in his book says don't go over one percent of your body weight a week, which I um I I just like lay not and the fucking man, so I just listen yeah, to what he says. I, yeah, I um I knew it was around that, and I think it's Lane Norton I've heard speaking about it before. Um, where I got that figure from. Um, but again, ties back into what you've been saying. I think he he says the one percent, so that you're maintaining a good um your metabolism isn't being impacted too much, and you're not losing muscle tissue. You're losing body fat, which is obviously the goal. Um, and any more than that is where the negatives of fat loss start coming in. I think that's the reason behind it, isn't it? Without getting too deep into the science. Yeah, definitely. We should talk about diet breaks now. I think it's tying quite nicely. Yeah. Let's With maintaining metabolic rate and, and things. So, I currently am doing a, a dieting protocol. That's a fancy word. word. I don't know where that came from. I'm just, I'm, I'm basically doing in in a dieting phase, but I'm implementing uh, an approach called diet breaking. Um, and actually, Lane Norton is where I first heard about it, and there's some emerging research upon upon it, which is very very interesting. I think I actually personally think that in about five years, it's just going to be the norm for everyone to be diet breaking. Um, which obviously is just a new area of science, so people that aren't really like convinced by it yet but the approach is basically you will diet as normal so maybe create a, a 20 to 30 percent calorie restriction so quite a, an aggressive um calorie deficit for maybe two three four weeks and then you'll spend five days to a week at calorie maintenance so once you calorie maintenance is the level of calories you would require to maintain weight so there's no deficit so you basically what you're doing is what we spoke about before when when your calories are really low for ages your body will start to um, it will start to try and reduce the amount of energy you burn and by increasing your calorie intake for a week mid diet you're basically telling your body right it's fine we're not in we're not in a time of famine anymore we don't need to continue doing these things that are that are gonna reduce my intake i don't need to continue suppressing my metabolic rate because we've got loads of food now again it's fine and so what we see when we implement diet breaks every every two three or four weeks is greater retention of your metabolic rate so instead of constantly dropping your calories really really low if you want to be in a dieting phase for ages you can simply diet for a period spend a week off and maintain your metabolic rate. So you can just drop straight back down to the exact same calories that you were on and still maintain and still lose the same amount of weight that you did six months ago than you did 
today because you've been dieting breaking for the whole time. Um, whereas if you didn't, you may have to drop your calories lower and lower and lower if you're in a prolonged period of, of fat loss. Um, and all the studies that se- seem to show much better attention and metabolic rate and muscle mass. There's a really famous, well, the most famous of the studies regarding diabetes called the Matador study. And they basically took two groups of obese males and they, I think it was obese males, don't, don't quote me, but they basically um, made a 16-week dieting phase. So I think they did a calorie restriction of 30%. Um, and so the group, there, was, there were two groups. One group was just 16 weeks of straight dieting, straight deficit. And the other group spent two weeks in a deficit, then spent two weeks where they would eat at maintenance. And the group that had the diet breaks every two weeks, they retained more muscle tissue. They retained their metabolic rate much better. They lost more fat mass. And in the follow-up, had kept more fat mass off. So, I mean, it, it just seems like as going back to what we're looking for with the dieting phase, as much fat off as possible, as much muscle retained as possible and retain your metabolic rate. And all of those things seem to be um, improved by implementing diet break. Definitely. I think so I'm in the middle of, of one now. Go on. No, go, go on. on. I'm saying, I'll jump in after that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the middle of one, of one now. It seems to be, it seems to be all right. And I think what's really good about it as well is the psychological break you get from dieting. If you've ever dieted for a decent period, it's absolutely the worst thing. <laughs> it just it's it just is horrible. And you get to the point where you think yep. right just feeling that give now. Me some <laughs> just give me some fucking food already, man. I'm starving here. Just all I want is a piece of cake and you become very food focused. The it's actually sort of completely changes that feeling because that's how I was I spent four weeks in, in a deficit and this is my fifth week and I'm in a diet break and I'm coming towards the end of it I went to a 30% calorie restriction over those four weeks brought me calories up to maintenance and for me it's, it's quite a lot so it's 1100 calories increase which is fucking loads nice. of food and I'm stuffed like I'm actually like I feel like I'm at the end yeah. of a bulk like I can't get any more food in because my body's became accustomed to eating 2,500. Now I'm on 2,600 and I'm absolutely, I like, I can't fit any more food in and I'm actually really excited for tomorrow when I go <laughs> back into a deficit because you just can't be asked eating this much food anymore. Nicely into what I was actually going to say there is the the difference between other the, the both diet breaks but sometimes termed a refeed and sometimes termed a diet break and the different applications yeah. for different people in different scenarios. So obviously what you're talking about there is the sort of refeed type of a diet break where you're, you're trying to stop or reduce metabolic adaptation and you're trying to retain as much muscle mass as possible and that's the main reason for you putting that diet break in. The yeah. older application, which is a bit more prominent for... A lot of our clients is the sort of psychological side of diet breaking, which you've just spoke about, where yeah, they could stay 
in a deficit and physiologically continue to lose weight, but they've been dieting for a long time or they're not used to dieting for such a prolonged period that they're starting to falter and they're starting to, mm. as you say, like their food, their focus on food has increased or they're just, they're just, you can just see them starting to struggle. Things are starting to creep in. Like they might, you can just see little factors starting to creep in where telling someone to just have a diet break, just a week, or just two days or just the weekend where they come away from the diet and they don't think about the diet for a couple of days and they just sort of eat with a bit of freedom or the you you put their calories up to maintenance, whatever, whatever stage someone's at in, in their in their in their journey. Oh, I hate that word. Shouldn't use that word. Oh. I know, I know, I know you hate that word. And I was like, no, was he's so not going to say for a word. And it, and it just slipped out. And <laughs> a, a little part of me has just died inside. Um, <laughs> yeah, so whenever someone is during their, their progress, it can just sort of realign them psychologically and make them more willing to jump back into the diet after that's over. And like you've just spoke there, you've just said there yourself, it, you're ready now. To, to Monday hits, you're ready to yeah. jump back in and go back into the dining yeah. phase. So it's both applications are, 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 are both off both reasons have good applications in getting results, whether it's the physiological Definitely. or whether it's the psychological reasons. Definitely, I think it's it's also good in in another sense for for training yeah. performance as well because obviously. The, the longer you spend in a deficit, you'll see more and more um, glycogen depletion. So you 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 look a bit flat there. You, your stores of carbohydrates in your muscle will be lower and lower and lower because obviously you're in a calorie deficit. And you get to the point where potentially you'll definitely experience it, Jack, when you're getting ridiculously lean and food's very low. You, you, you'll look really flat and your muscles have got no glycogen or no carbohydrate stores in them. <clears throat> I'm spending a week at maintenance and probably the best way to approach it is to throw all your calories up from maintenance, maybe 10, 20 grams of fat, but the majority of the extra calories are coming from carbs. And that's going to basically be uh, a chance for your body, which will be extremely receptive after being in a deficit of carbs. It gives your body a chance to, to take all those, all, all, all those carbs and shuttle them straight into the muscle. So you can, you can train really, really fucking hard again and go back, into the into a deficit the next week with full glycogen stores and continue to train hard when you even when you go back Definitely. into a deficit. When you when you're spending so much time and you get to the end of prep, it's like your your training performance is ridiculous. You'd be doing like one working set, <laughs> like yeah. a warm up set it. and then a working set and that that's it. Because you've got no carbs at all in your muscle and it's there's nothing else you can do. Um so I think in that sense as well, it's very, very effective. We're getting quite good at this lad, aren't we? It just transitions very nicely into macros, doesn't That's it? Nice, doesn't it? It does. So, what, in your opinion, is the most important macronutrient when you're setting up a dieting phase, and why, and what comes after that? So, I think for phase, um, it, it's it's always their priority. It's always the priority. It's always the number one for me. Um, but more phase is protein and getting that yep. adequate 
being in take. Um, you haven't got the cap sustain growth almost. Um, and like we've just spoke about, when we're talking about calories and trying to retain as much muscle tissue as possible. If you're not hitting your pro, your the required amount of protein for you, and you're also in a calorie deficit, then your of weight loss come from muscle tissue. Obviously, is not ideal, and there's something we're trying to avoid. So for me, protein's always always a big one, and it's yeah. always a little bit higher in a in a dieting phase than it would be in a in a gaining phase or a maintenance phase for that for that to retain as much muscle tissue but also um because it's so satiating in phase you you're looking to feel feel hungry and, and having an adequate protein intake or a, a higher protein intake is a good way of addressing that issue yeah definitely definitely hugely important um satiate the, the satiety aspect of protein is massively overlooked i think when 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 you're in a dieting phase you need to look look after your hunger because it's like going back again to sustainability if you're starving all the time you're less likely to be able to stick to the program and creating a um, a meal that's going to satiate you more is going to mean that you can stick to the diet or you're going to be more likely to stick to, stick to the, the plan over the long term if you're creating meals with high protein foods and high fiber foods again fiber is extremely satiating we'll come to that in a, in a little bit but creating your meals from high protein and high fiber foods is going to allow you to make sure that you're full all the time I think it would be useful to go back a little bit and explain what protein actually does and why it's important to to retain muscle as Jack's just, Jack's just said so <clears throat> what your what you, what you have to understand is your muscles are effectively made from protein proteins are oh, go go right down so it proteins are made from these things called amino acids which are basically little tiny molecules which create um a protein so your muscles are effectively made of amino acids and so are the meats and stuff that you eat and eggs and any protein source that you eat is made of amino acids. When you're training, well, pretty much, well, in fact, all the time, there's a, a continuum called protein balance and your body will always be moving between um, protein breakdown and protein um, or protein degradation and and muscle protein synthesis, which is basically either the breakdown of muscle tissue or the the building of muscle tissue. And we always, if we're trying to if we're trying to grow muscle or retain as much as possible, we we want to stimulate muscle protein synthesis as much as possible, so we can sort of tip that balance in our favour and see accumulation of of muscle tissue over the the breakdown of muscle tissue over time. We basically want that one to win out of the the, out of the balance so by eating adequate amounts of high high quality protein you're going to be able to tip that scale in your favor um and so when you're training especially in a deficit 
you're going to be seeing lots of muscle breakdown or excessive amounts of muscle breakdown than you normally would if you were eating at maintenance or in a surplus and you weren't training. So we need to make sure that if we're in a deficit, that we're definitely, definitely eating a little bit more protein than is necessary. So I think what what is typically accepted as how much protein you should eat is 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein a day per pound of body weight. But I, I typically, I, I think it needs to be higher than that, the general guideline. I think there's some emerging science which is saying it needs to be higher. But I think you're pretty safe to to be, um, to, to as long as you hit at least 0.8 grams, you can really push it as high as, high as you want, as long as your digestion can handle it. And you're not farting. 7,000 times a day. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said there, there's some really interesting studies. There's been a few around for a while. I think it's something that's been looked into over the past couple of years quite a lot on how um, the impacts of having a, a, a high-protein diet. I think proteins add a bit of a bad rep. I think a lot of... I think all macronutrients have come under fire at some point, but I think protein... <laughs> got a bit of a bad rep for like causing issues with kidneys and it makes yeah. you sick and stuff like that and i think it's good to see these studies where people are consuming like really high protein intakes over yeah. a long period of time and actually showing good results and and not very few negatives coming from it yeah the whole, like the whole the whole thing you, if you have a high protein diet, you get you get kidney issues. It's just ridiculous. It's like that's not how your body works. And people who have any understanding of physiology will understand your body will just excrete anything that it doesn't need. Yeah, it's not. You're not going to like your your kidneys are designed to deal with excessive amino acids. You're not going to fucking die from having a bit of a, a few too many chicken breasts. Like the thing I, I said this to one of my clients. He's a he's a doctor. <clears throat> um, he's done like a degree in like sports science. He's got a master's in um, something to do with sports. Uh, yeah, he's got a master's in something to do with sports science as well. So he he, he knows his stuff. But uh, obviously, with his background in being a doctor as well, we're talking about like homeostasis. Um, he must have spent fucking so long in uni. Yeah, he's crazy. Ages in uni. Got a um, master's in sports science, and he's became a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. Um, but we were saying, like, just sort of joking that, like, your body spends its entire life trying to achieve homeostasis, and we as humans just continually fuck with that all day, every day. <laughs> like, yeah. in everything that we do, even down to like training and stuff, it's just like your body's constantly fighting all of our actions. So, like, when you are consuming that excess protein, it, it will just, if it's too much, it will just get rid of it if it doesn't need it. Yeah. yeah. But if you're training like a fucking animal, it will need it. Yeah. What What are you saying about alkaline water then, Jack? Oh, don't get me started on alkaline water. That's another topic we spoke <laughs> about. Like, I think um, Phil Laney put up a really good post about this ages ago explaining, yeah. like, where your body sits on the pH scale, and if it's like 0.2 either side of the pH scale, you'd be like hospitalized. 
<laughs> and that you drinking alkaline water is doing absolutely nothing to tip that scale. Literally. It Your is. body just deals with it. I think what, what people get mixed up with if they don't understand again about, about how the body works is they'll drink alkaline water and then test the urine and see that it's the urine's now alkaline and then add two and two together and think right now the inside of my body is now alkaline, so I've won. Yeah. But actually, all that's happened is you've drank alkaline water, your body's gone, oh, what the fuck? I, I don't want all this alkaline shit in my blood because if I, if I leave it there, then I'm going to die. So I'm going to excrete it and I'm just going to piss it out because I don't want it. And now that's why your piss is alkaline. Got nothing to do with it. You've changed the pH of your blood. Bit of a side note. That's side going on note. Interesting and funny all the same. <laughs> all fat diets just fucking a piss take. They're all, all the same. Yeah. They they do they do nothing. Just they all come back with a calorie deficit. Preying on people who are uninformed. Yeah. This could be a good side rant actually, because it's to do with should we should we just go off on one on diet break on, on fat diet? I think we should. Do you know a good one? I'm gonna do a video on my story today, right? Because I, it, it Rachel showed me it showed me it a couple of days ago. And uh, it it's some girl's got like a, a I'm not gonna tag her in it because I can't, I can't be bothered going down that road. It's just gonna be a very general rant. But um she's <laughs> got loads of posts of like rubbing like veg and like fruit into her skin so she got like a banana peel and was like rubbing the banana peel onto her face saying how much like all the good things that are in a banana and how it can help your skin and i was like what? yeah but you know what works really good and it well better see if you eat the banana and you digest <laughs> all of the nutrients inside that banana your body being a lot smarter than you will take all those nutrients <laughs> to the places that need it most instead of you just rubbing <laughs> a banana peel on your face like a fucking tit. <laughs> People have fucking lost it, mate. Mad. Well, like, imagine seeing some, just walking down the street and seeing some bird rubbing banana peel on your face. <laughs> and you get fucking put in an asylum for that. It's mad, isn't it? Like, And she was so close to, to giving such a, a, like a valid point. Like she she listed off all of the like nutrients and vitamins and stuff that are, that are within a banana. I'm like this this does this and like potassium's good for this and blah blah blah. So rub a banana peel on your face. What the fuck? I was like I, I felt like asking like did you throw the banana away? Because <laughs> if you just ate the banana, threw the banana peel away and not rubbed anything on your face, you'd probably be in a better position. <laughs> Oh, lad, that's that's one of the weirdest ones I've ever, ever seen. That that picture, that screenshot you sent me a few few days ago. That that person who was studying nutrition and had juice plus in a bio. <laughs> oh, don't. What the fuck going on? The biggest contradiction of I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm studying nutrition, so I've got like an understanding of how things work um, when it comes to nutrition, but um, buy this Juice Plus stuff off me. It's absolute piss, 
first thing surely that gets covered on her course is a fucking energy deficit yeah a calorie deficit is how you lose weight not fucking by drinking some shitty juice how do you but justify it? How can you how can you how can you sell that to someone having like if you are studying nutrition and you've got you've got that understanding of nutrition, how can you like ethically then sell juice plus to someone? It's awful. But it goes back to what you said then before, that all just all those companies just prey upon people who don't actually know what how to how to lose fat. So all juice plus is is a calorie deficit. So is slimming world. So is What's the one? Weight Watchers or whatever the fuck they are. Herbalife. All, Herbalife, all of them. All they do is create a calorie deficit. But they do it in such a way where they don't explain that it's a calorie deficit. So they say, right, if you if you drink these juices or you eat off our Slimming World bullshit plan, you'll lose weight. And so people do it, lose weight because they're in a deficit. It's got nothing to do with the fact that they're, they're eating, eating this juice shit. I've got, and a, then, I've got a good one on that. Let me just bring it up. Um, a guy I, I chat to all the time um, on Instagram. Uh, he put this thing up yesterday and it compared the calories from Weight Watchers alternative foods to like the original. So Weight Watchers have got Weight Watchers chocolate digestives, 237 calories. Yeah. And McVitie's chocolate digestive, 248. So like 11 calories more um, <laughs> Weight Watchers double chocolate chip cookies 222 calories Maryland chocolate chip cookies they're like OG of cookies 243 yeah. I'll take them extra like 12 calories for a Maryland cookie <laughs> and then the the absolute nan biscuits of the world if your nan's never had these biscuits in then I don't know what's going on Chocolate wafers from Weight Watchers, 227 calories, and Tunnock's caramel wafer biscuits, you know, the golden red ones? Yeah. 224. So there's less calories in the Tunnock ones than there is in the Weight Watchers ones. <laughs> and then all the so Weight Watchers amazing. ones were more expensive than the, like, McVitie's and the Maryland and stuff per 50 gram bag. That's a bit mental. Like, you know what? Actually, hats off to. You know, Slimming World, I've, I don't know how the fuck they do it, you know, because people do lose weight on it. But, like, we tell people to, like, eat as much potato and shit as they want. Yeah, like, carbs are free food. Yeah, like, like you can eat, like, I, th- I think a banana is, is free, but if you mash it up, it's, like, two sins or whatever yeah. the fuck it is. <laughs> what, what's going on? Like they've somehow came up with all these mad rules and it obviously just throws people into a deficit. But I think it's partly to, due to the fact like like how many calories can you put away from fucking potatoes? Honestly, no one's sat there eating 10 bananas. No one's <clears throat> sat there eating like, I mean, maybe you've swapped chippy chips, which is probably like a thousand calories to like 400 grams of potato, yeah. which is what, do you know what I mean? I think- so they've, like the cycle, I think because it doesn't really work long term for a lot of people, that initial psychological impact of I'm on a diet plays massive into it as yeah. well. Like, if you, like, um, again, going back to Phil Lane, he's talked about this before. If you, if someone 
start going to like they join a gym and they start going to like spin two three times a week, and they start losing weight because they're going to spin subconsciously. They're then more conscious of the food they eat, and they're more conscious of yeah. the choices they make for that initial period. So that initial like however long it is, it might be like six weeks. They are more conscious, and then if they don't address or sustain those changes, then the weight loss stops. And yeah. it's the same with Slim and World and stuff. They've gone to Slim and World. They've invested that money. So they're more conscious of like, oh, okay, I won't have a chocolate bar or I won't order a takeaway because I've got Slim and World and I've got my way in on Saturday and stuff. So initially, they get that loss. They get that loss and they're like, oh, well, I've lost 10 pounds. And then the longer it goes on and the more you speak to people who've been with Weight, weight Watchers or whatever it is or Slim and World for years and years, the weight loss tapers off because there isn't those sustainable changes being made. Yeah. I think it comes down massively as well to when we were saying before about um metabolic rate and how that changes over the dieting period. Like if you most of the most of the clientele for slim world and weight watchers are pretty overweight or obese. And if you if you if if you make the changes and and diet off slim world, you obviously those people are going to be put into a deficit straight away. So they're going to lose lots of fat and lots of weight initially, and then maybe six months down the line, the metabolic rate is probably coming down massively, and there's no changes because there's no understanding of calories or macros. There's just no changes are made. You can still eat ten fucking bags of potatoes if you want, and now you're no longer in a deficit because your metabolic rate has come down six months later. And it, there's no there's no adjustment. There's nothing additional coming from Slim and World. It's not like right now you've plateaued. Right, you need to drop your calories by a hundred. There's none of that. It's just eat eat these fucking eat five cents a day yeah. or whatever it is. It's like well, there's a point where you're gonna hit a fucking plateau. What do you do about it? And Slim and World just like oh well, you're not fucking allowed to exercise because you put weight on. What the fuck's that? Like like the actual thing that they tell people don't exercise because you put weight on. I've never heard anything so ridiculous in my life. But again, it preys on it preys on the uninformed and it's where what we do differs because essentially I say this to people all the time, like our job as a business plan isn't isn't the best. We bring people in to get them to a point where they don't need us anymore. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that in in business yeah. sense, that's that's a terrible idea. But in terms of what we do, that's the goal. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Weight Watchers and Slimming World and stuff are designed to give you a little bit of information, but always have you in a position where you feel like you need them. And that's yeah. why people end up with Slimming World and Weight Watchers and stuff for years and years and years and years. They're never yeah. given enough information to not need that. Yeah. Definitely, it's shocking. I think it, it's even the same with not necessarily just what we're going back to, to what I was saying then about the fact there's no changes made over time that like keep people in yeah. forever. I think even if someone is looking for um sort of some sort of guidance, you need some you even need to educate yourself or you need someone who's actually gonna teach you because there's no no point in finding some sort of meal plan or like how many people DM you every month just asking 
for a male fan. Do you do male fans? Yeah, yeah, one of the male ones because they like they don't work. Like you, you like if I give you a meal plan now, it might put you in a deficit for, for three or four weeks, and now you're done. Because like when when that no longer works, what are you gonna do? You've got no, you've got nothing to go to go. To, you know, there's nothing you can do after that doesn't work anymore because there's no scope to improve and continue progressing. It's just that meal plan will work for the day. Now it's not going to. Yeah, it's just like you could make quick money. I could say to someone, "Yeah, here's fifty quid. I'll send you a meal plan. Take me ten minutes to make up." But you, what? What have you achieved? Yeah. You, you're fifty quid out of pocket. <laughs> That's about all you've achieved. Like, yeah. no, just not, <laughs> just not um, beneficial at all for anyone. No, not in the slightest. I think, <clears throat> I think they can meal plans in general can be. Useful. I think I use them occasionally with. With new clients, or with most new clients, I'll use a meal plan to develop habits and stuff, and I think it's good for that. For someone who's never tried to follow any sort of eating plan before, or someone who's not aware of how calories or macros work, definitely starting off with a meal and developing the habits, and so sort of getting into getting used to measuring food, either weighing it or just measuring through portion sizes, whatever approach you take I think they're good for developing habits but you can't just give someone a meal plan and say off you go because it will never ever work yeah um, um, I completely agree with you like they are they're a great tool they work but they work when combined with coaching and combined with yeah like that guidance and that education just to get and send a meal plan and that's it it doesn't work whereas if you apply it in a coaching scenario, like you said there, for someone who, like for me, you've sent me a meal plan, but you haven't just mm-hmm. sent me a meal plan. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you're coaching me through a prep, so it works, and there's changes being made to it. The, me- the, the yeah. meals I'm following now are different to what we initially went off. Yeah. And the same goes for someone if they've never, if they've got no real nutritional knowledge at all, it's an excellent building block and it's an excellent initial starting place for someone, isn't it? To show them if yeah. you can explain to them, right, this is this is your meal plan. And then as as the weeks go on, right, seeing your meal plan, the way I've put this food here, this is because this is when you train and you start educating yeah. them and then you can get them to a point where you're like, right, well now they understand that this is the food we put in around training and this is the food we put in on rest days and stuff mm. like that. Yeah. So applied, right? They're an amazing tool, and it's it's very nice. It's very uh, a nice. It's a nice transition, I think, into um, teaching someone else to how to track macros. So if you've got someone who's got <clears throat> maybe three examples of pre-workout meals, and the macros are the same, but they've been eating the same three meals for pre-workout for the last two months. Yeah. You can just right. Well for pre-workout now I want you to download my fitness pal and try and track these foods I want you to have 80 gram of carbs and this protein this fat just make the numbers yeah. match and eat similar foods to what you've been eating the last two months have a go and then report back and let's see how you get on with it and it, it teaches people like they, they already have developed the habit they know what foods to eat they just have to now actually look at applying themselves to tracking it and finding the quantities that match and then it gives you the freedom then to, to fuck off and then going back to what you said 
you won't need us then yeah. <laughs> when you when you know yeah. how to track macros and you know what to do with your with your macros and your meal timings and what what macros are best suited to certain times of day. But then we've done um, our job then. Do you know what I mean? Our job is, is exactly. education to inform, so Exactly. And um do you reckon we should jump into the Q and A? I think we should talk a little bit about the activity and stuff first and how we address that and how that is a big factor yeah, in nutrition man. as well. Um, yeah. Which actually is a good point as I can, I've got a really good example to talk about on that to start us off on a recent call cool. I've just had um, with a girl I was speaking to on Instagram. She was struggling to lose weight, was unsure of her macros and stuff like that. Um, so I was like, yeah, okay, jump on a call with me. Um, I'll just talk you through it and we'll get you set up. So I'm just talking her through, finding out where her macros are at the moment and what what calories she's on and like what changes has she seen as she lost weight or is she gaining weight. Um, and then we started, I started digging into it a little bit more because her calories, she was only, let me get the numbers up because I've got it written down here. She was only 158 pounds. So she's like 69 kilos. So she's not, she, she's she's quite lean when you see a photo she is she is relatively lean like you can see definition in her arms you can see a little bit of obliques um her calories were at 1600 and she's not she's lost i think she's lost about a pound in two months um or maybe a little bit less so like during lockdown she's lost about a pound so rather than looking at her food i asked her what what was your activity like before lockdown and what's it like now? So she started doing three or four runs a week. So she does about 12 miles a week now, um, which yep. is about, what's that in kilometers? Uh, I've got no idea. Let's say, let's say it's about 20 kilometers just off the top of my head. Yeah, just for an example, it doesn't it doesn't have to be specific. So she's doing about twenty kilometers running a week now, but she's only doing about ten thousand steps a day, which equates to um about ten K a day. So I asked her what was she doing before lockdown? Before lockdown she was doing thirty thousand steps a day. What? Yeah. So every day Every day. every day she was doing that oh, about, she get paid to walk yeah the job involved her walking around a lot um, so she she was doing 30 kilometres a day walking and now she's only doing 10 so over a week she's lost 140 kilometres in distance she's doing 140 kilometres less a day but she's running Walking. an extra 20 kilometers a day. So in total, she's lost 120 kilometers a week, even though she's running yeah. four times a week because she's moving round less because she's not working and she's sat around. And when I sort of explained that to her and broke her down, she broke it down to her. She was like, oh, shit, okay. Like, <laughs> the calories, that's why the calories aren't having the same effect as when I was in work because I'm not doing <laughs> 120 kilometers more a day. Than what I normally would. Yeah. And it, so even just that, that would that wasn't even a consideration in her mind that she's now moving less and that's why she's not losing weight. 
and when you actually dig into it and when you break down how much she was moving to how much she's moving now that's ridiculous it's such a huge variation in in, in movement it's so fucking big and and all all that is doing just to to clarify for people who haven't made the link is she's now burning many many less calories each day so the deficit that she created before lockdown is now pretty much non-existent it's, I could I can't even so comprehend the difference in calories expenditure every day. For a... I know what what is that? hundred and twenty? Did you say one hundred and twenty k a week? A week less. So, isn't it like two thousand steps? Is like a hundred calories or something, isn't it? For the average yeah, person. So, so, so what's that? So you're talking. Six, you're talking one hundred and twenty thousand. Six thousand calories a week is that? Yeah, so 120,000 divided by 2,000. Oh, I'm so lost. Yeah, I think it's about 6,000. I can't do the math to me yet. I think it's about 6,000 calories less a week she's burning. Let's just say it is, because, like, fuck maths. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just assume it's 6,000 calories. Like, the I think it's... 3,000 calories, they say, when you work it out properly. About 3,500 calories. Um, a a 3,500 calorie deficit across a week is about a pound. So if she's burning 6,000 less calories every single week, she's like she, she could be losing like over one and a half pounds extra on top of what she's doing currently. Yeah. So that's like when you when you... Like people so massively underestimate steps. Like I always see see it with clients, and then you know, I say get these steps, and I explain to them why none of them ever do it. Well, very few of them do it. And then I'm like like three weeks in, I'm like hit your fucking steps, please. And then they'll do it, and then they'll be like, oh my fucking god, I dropped two kilos this week. I'm like hit your steps, you fucking dick. That's it. Like your diet doesn't need to change. I don't call me clients. Don't worry. Just move more. Yeah, and you it will you you you'll if you, especially if you're overweight, going back to the whole homeostasis, if you're carrying more body weight than your body needs, it wants to get rid of it. It's causing extra stress on your body. If you move more, your body will get rid of it. Like if you put yourself in that environment, your body is like, Yes, let's get rid of this. Let's create less work for me every day because at the moment I'm having to move all of this body weight. And it's why people who are heavier have a higher metabolism. Essentially, when you break Yeah, well, also, also the adipose tissue that they hold is obviously much more. And, but adipose tissue, for those who don't know, is where you store fat or subcutaneous fat or basically the fat that you want to get rid of. Is that, that tissue that holds that fat is is metabolically active and it, it is alive it burns calories so the more of that you have the more calories you burn throughout the day and also simply just by carrying around 10 extra stone what, what, I, every step you will burn more calories because you've got 10 extra stone yeah, on your like back. if I was to walk around all day carrying you I will burn more calories yeah literally it, it's like it's another reason why your metabolic rate comes down because as you lose fat and get leaner because you've been dieting for a long time you might now be 10 kilos lighter. It takes less energy yeah. to 
to carry around a 60 kilo person than it does a 70 kilo person. Um, so that's a fucking massive as well. Basically, the long and short of it, yeah. Go for a walk. Um, <laughs> I think that's led us nicely onto the questions, hasn't it? We got some really good questions in. Um, Should we touch on cardio, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we jump into the QA. Yeah. Um, so cardio is just, I mean, for me, it, it's 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 a fantastic way to increase calorie expenditure. Obviously, because the, the more calories you burn, you can put yourself into a bigger deficit. You can you can um, control the degree of a calorie deficit that you're in. So if you're maybe struggling to lose weight, but you don't want to eat any less food, you can just introduce cardio and burn an extra five thousand calorie five thousand an extra 500 calories across the week by doing a little bit of cardio and it's there's that aspect to it but it's also absolutely incredible for health so your cardio respiratory fitness is one of the biggest predictors for more all-cause mortality so if you have great cardio you're less likely to get diabetes you're less likely to get cancer you're less likely to have heart attack and so by implementing cardio into your into your um into your fat loss program, you're also not only just helping your 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 results in terms of your, of your physique, but you're actually improving your health. And also, it just feels fucking nice after you come after you finish cardio. I feel you feel you get that runner's high sort of thing. Yeah, it's over. That's what I get. That feeling of I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> it's it's over for the day. Yeah. Uh, that's just my personal <laughs> opinion on cardio, though. <laughs> but no, you do the, that runner's high is is like a thing, isn't it? People feel better for getting it done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, cardio. I feel that this sort of goes back to that phone call, that that video call I've just had with um, with uh, that girl off Instagram, where when I explained yeah. so. Basically, what I said, one of the one of the things I said to her to sort of get her back into a fat loss state was to increase her steps. Her body's used to doing thirty thousand steps. Obviously, trying to get mm. thirty thousand steps on lockdown is difficult. But I said, right, well, let's try and get it to fifteen at least. That's five thousand more than you're doing now. Um, yeah. And five thousand isn't actually a massive amount of time to be able to achieve that. Maybe an extra 30, 40 minutes walking. Mm. Um, yeah. I said, so let's try and get it to fifteen. Start there, um, keep up the running though. So she's still going to carry on doing the three, four, three or four runs a week because it's again, it's extra activity. But what I said to her was on the day she does the runs, the 15,000 steps need to be achieved as well as the run. And she was like, Wait, what? And I think that's missed on <laughs> some people as well is that like, yeah. it needs to be an add in, the cardio needs to be an yeah. add in to your daily activity and not part of it. Like, yeah, I done that fifteen k bike ride yesterday, but I only hit ten thousand steps where I'd normally hit twelve or fifteen, and so yeah, it wasn't really a fifteen k bike ride on top. It might only be like five k on top because yeah, the needs drop down, the activity amount of steps I've done drop down, so it needs to be an overall add in on top of what you do daily. Yeah for it to be beneficial Definitely. yeah you can't be one of them muppets like on the treadmill 
Do or on, on the step, the stepper with your phone in your pocket, counting your steps on the stepper. It's not it's like it's yeah, not the same. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. You do your car, they only step separately. Stop Just cheating. You fit bit on the dog when you get in. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, as well, it'd be worth considering how cardio can improve your training performance as well. We spoke about this yeah, recently we did. as well. Jack, how how if you've got a better cardiovascular system, not only are you healthier, but you're actually going to be able to get more out of your resistance training. So if you, all recovery happens through your aerobic system or your cardiovascular system. So when you do uh, a top set for even five reps on the hack spot, for example, or you do a dirty 20, 20 rep with Omega, however you train, or even if you're going on a 10-mile run, obviously, however you train, the method that your body uses to recover is the aerobic system. All it's trying to do is get oxygen back into your body and deliver it to the to the muscles and help it recover. So the more efficiently you can do that, I mean, that's put very simply, but the more efficient you can do that, you will better be able to recover. So if you just absolutely just destroyed yourself on, on a top set hack squat, the more efficient your cardiovascular system is, the quicker you'll be able to recover and the more you'll be able to get out of your next set. And maybe if you get one or two extra reps out on that set, well, now you've stimulated hypertrophy a little bit more, you've stimulated your muscles to grow a little bit more. And then even taken out of a in-session context, thinking day-to-day, like there's, there's, a, there's a recovery, a sort of split into two things called EPOC, which is excessive post-exercise oxygen consumption or something was basically set into into two um into two categories so there's the initial phase where it's like your heart rate's massively high and it's just trying to get oxygen repay the oxygen death to your muscles i'm not going to go into that because i'll be chatting for i'm already rambling but we have the initial phase which is that which is the in session context but day to day you're still recovering from legs the next day and the more efficient your cardiovascular system is, the the less stress on the nervous system, and the quicker you can you can allow those muscles to recover. Yeah, definitely. Um, leads us quite nicely into our first question of what's more important, diet or exercise? Oh, I remember I was having this combo with Al a few week uh, a few months ago. It's a very good question. What do you reckon? I think it's diet. Depending on what your goals are. Yeah. Um, no, actually, I don't. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it's depending on what your goals are. I think it's always diet. There's that saying of yeah. you can't out-train a shit diet, and it's true. Like, if yeah. you if you look at, like, from a gaining side, if you look at pro-level bodybuilders, they're not pros just because they train really hard. Mm. They're pros because their diet's nailed too. And in the same way, mm. when someone's trying to lose weight, they might go to spin classes every day of the week. They might go and do 100,000 steps every day. But if they're ordering <laughs> the dominoes every night of the week and like they're emotionally yeah. eating and they're, they're nailing tubs of Ben & Jerry's, they're not going to see the results they want because the diet's shit. Definitely. So I think in both aspects, like if you, you could train ridiculously hard 
but if you're not hitting your protein intake, what what's your muscles got to recover with? Yeah, so, yeah. I think diet, so diet, diet rules over everything. No, I I, I agree with that. I think um, how I'll put it, I I literally said exactly it's pretty much the same as you initially, but I think it's worth considering a, a different way of thinking about it. If you could get someone to have a 70% perfect diet and then a 100% perfect training or 70% training and a 100% diet, what would be more effective? And I think it would be the 100% training and 70% diet. Not in terms of 70% or like you spend 70% of the time nailing it and 70% and 30% um, eating what you want. I mean, like, it's it's maybe not as optimal as it potentially yeah. could be. Yeah. I think I think the nail in the training would would be more effective. Like if you can if you can like seventy percent like if you can make sure that you're hitting your macros and your calories or whether you're eating grass fed fucking steak or you're eating ten percent fat minced beef from Iceland that's frozen it's probably not optimal compared to the grass fed steak but if you hit the macros the same then yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean yeah. like I, I think if you could have the most most perfect diet ever but if you're training shit then if you're not training properly I think your results could be better if you're training absolutely the most optimal possible and then your diet just wasn't absolutely in, in, insanely perfect and you you were just, you were hitting your macros and calories, but your training's insane. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. That's a good that's a good way of looking at it. Um, well, I think diet is is hugely hugely important. Like if you if you as you said, if you're not if your diet's out the window, you're yeah. fucked. I think <laughs> where when to look at it from like a gen pop standpoint. If I have a client yeah. come to me who already goes to the gym and they're coming to me to make progress, what would I address first? Would it be their diet or their training? I think yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, diet. it's always the think. diet that needs addressing first. Yeah. In terms of the whole, what, I think... what would you like from, from Al's perspective and how Al's words that Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. The, you can still make progress if the diet isn't perfected, but the training is. Yeah. But I think for the vast mm. majority of people, it's the diet that lets them down, and that's what they need to prioritise over the yeah, training. Yeah, yeah. Just the fact that they're Definitely. just the fact that they are training and they are moving is great, and that's a perfect start yeah. point in terms of their training. Whereas they might be going to the gym four or five times a week, but they're, they're ordering takeaways and drinking. 60 pints of Carlin over the weekend, so let's look at fixing <laughs> that first before we start trying to get you to do a reverse banded hack squat. <laughs> We're done with you. Fair yeah. session. Fair session RDL. Um, Fair session RDL, like our old gym. <laughs> uh, I know you've never really been to the gym before, but um, we're doing RDLs on the first one, first exercise. So. The most complex <laughs> exercise that is humanly possible. Something that took me about eight years to perfect to actually be able to do without throwing. Something that I still, something that I still can't do. I'm trying to teach people <laughs> who've never even stepped foot in the gym. 
trying to keep something earlier than the, the first four minutes of a session. We've literally just known, just introduced ourselves and now I'm trying to get you to RDL. Doesn't no. fucking work. Um, next question, bit of a, <clears throat> bit of a, bit of a big one. Um, I'm not going to dig into it too much because you could, the, it, 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 it could, you could take a whole podcast to go into it. But um, if you've got PCOS, what diet considerations do you need to take into effect? So for anyone that doesn't know, uh, PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, and there are a couple of different symptoms. Um, it affects people in their late teens, early 20s. That's where it usually becomes apparent. Um, creates irregular periods and can cause difficulties in getting pregnant. Um, it's also been linked to excessive hair growth um, and like weight gain, thinning hair and stuff like that. Um, it affects quite a lot of women. I've got a couple of clients who suffer with PCO- PCOS. Um, basically, to, to sort of simplify it down, because you know me, nice and simple with everything, it just affects <laughs> how their um, body regulates hormones. So um, because ovaries play such a big role in hormone production in females, they're not functioning properly and it affects how much estrogen they produce and it also affects um, how much insulin they produce as well as like a byproduct of it. Um, So in terms of a diet, although um, PCOS can be like linked to weight gain, um, there are some studies out there that have looked at how much weight people have gained who've suffered with PCOS over um, like 10, 15 years compared to people who haven't got PCOS. And the weight gain is pretty much in line with what someone would be expected to gain anyway through their life. Um, like Most people are expected to gain a couple of pounds a year every year just as you get older, just as a general rule of thumb. Um, obviously, different things impact that, whether you're training and stuff like that and whether you're actively trying to lose weight. Um, but in terms of a diet impacting it, the only real consideration that I would factor in, I wouldn't change anything to do with getting them into a calorie deficit or anything like that. I wouldn't put them in a more drastic calorie deficit. Um and if you're not losing, if you've got PCOS and you aren't losing weight, then chances are is you're just not in a calorie deficit. Um, the clients I've got with PCOS, once they're in a calorie deficit, they lose weight. One of my clients who's lost the most amount of my my one client who's lost the most amount of weight, who's had the drast, most drastic transformation out of everyone I've ever worked with, has got PCOS, and she's just stayed in a consistent calorie deficit for a prolonged period of time. Um, the only thing to possibly consider is because they've got a higher insulin level. They produce more insulin, sorry. Um, you can possibly put them into a um, onto a low-carb diet um, just to try and reduce the amount of insulin they are producing as they are more sensitive to, to overproducing insulin. And a low carb diet can obviously mean that 
as they're producing, they're consuming less carbs, there's less need for them to produce insulin to deal with those carbohydrates. It's not a must. Um, and there's a lot of contradicting studies out there concerning it. It's not something I've factored into to my clients with PCOS. Um, but it is possibly something to consider. But apart from that, get yourself into a calorie deficit um, and stay there. Yeah, I think I've I've never had a climb with PCOS, but uh, I think part of the medication, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, is metformin, which is something to do with insulin, is it not? Uh, yeah. Does it? I know diabetics take that too. I think I I, I presume I, I I could be completely wrong. We may have to cut this out, but <laughs> if. If they're on that medication, potentially that would remove the need to reduce the carbohydrate intake if that would help them deal with carbs. So, yeah, metformin, it's obvious it, um, it's used to treat type 2 diabetes. But as you said there, yeah, it's just it's a tool to, to help reduce, um, reduce insulin. Um, so, again, if someone is type 2 diabetic, then they would be trying to avoid high carb diets and, mm. and high carb, high glycemic index foods to again reduce their insulin production. So it's sort of relates that right. it's the same reason why you would put um, a PCOS, a client with PCOS on a, on a low carb diet. But again, it depends right. on how much how much that's a factor in their condition um obviously yeah. if they if they're getting treatment from the doctor for pcos they're going to have identified the fact that they have got type 2 diabetes like symptoms and they are producing a high amount of insulin and if that was the case then obviously yeah, yeah you would introduce a a low carb diet um yeah but then other things is that they're, they're going to be on a the chances are they're going to be on a um a contraceptive pill um so that's a whole other avenue to go down on how different contraceptive pills affect their hormone production and stuff like that but that's that's probably better for another time before we dig into that whole other topic um <laughs> yeah, for 10 hours. yeah. <laughs> but yeah um it's completely dependent on how how badly affected you are by PCOS on whether you need to go onto a low carb diet or not other than yeah. that um, just trying to attain a, a time to achieve a calorie deficit should be sufficient enough unless your symptoms are severe yeah um, next one we've got is we sort of touched on this one so I think we should sort of leave this one Um. We'll go into it a little bit, but is keto is I can never say it right the first time. Is keto a good way to lose fat? Um <laughs> we sort of went on to this oh, keto. Oh, keto. We sort of went on to this before, didn't we, with the diet fads? Um yeah. it just creates a calorie deficit, essentially. Yeah. I mean, if it were if keto works for you and helps you create a calorie deficit, then do I think certain people are more satiated by eating a high fat diet yeah. than others. Eating fat doesn't make you fat. If you're in a calorie deficit and all you eat is fat, 
that you could eat a thousand calories of butter. If you burn two thousand calories, you're going to lose weight. So, if if a ketogenic diet makes you feel fuller and helps you sustain a calorie deficit over time, then yeah, it's perfect. But there's no need. There's nothing special about it. There's no need for you to to try it or do it at all unless you feel like it would be beneficial to you over a normal normal setup. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that yeah, like like you said, just certain people it will work better for. I think if you're in a very fast paced job, so like where we used to work, we worked in the city centre. A lot of our clients were busy office workers. Um, I think a low carb style keto style diet can work quite well for someone who is in like a, a high stress job a, like a very busy job where they haven't got time to where they do maybe miss meals and stuff like that i think for that kind of lifestyle it works quite well but obviously it's it's completely person dependent if you've got a very active lifestyle you might you might have a go-to of wanting carbs because you're hungry so it's just completely yeah. Um. Next one. This one is kind of. Uh. So I'll I'll read the question and then we'll go into it. Why do people lose weight when they eat more? They don't. It's basically the it's <laughs> short of it. Um. But it, it can appear to be the case. Um. Depending on what has led up to them eating more calories. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had it with a client where they'll say to you, wow, I can't believe I'm eating so much and losing weight. Or I've never had this yeah, much food before and lost weight. It happens with every single client who's a fat loss client for me. It's just because they're, they're used to the, the, the foods that we've changed, the, the, the food that they're used to eating are more calorie dense so that maybe they are eating like twice a day but they're eating fuckloads of calories through high calorie foods whereas now you might be eating four times a day being extremely satiated because we've picked high fiber high protein foods and you made yeah. up on and now you feel fine but you're actually eating less calories because you've sensibly created proper meals yeah. that can fill you up but a low calorie I think as well what what can be the case like we were talking about for like where we were talking about like the diet breaks and like the prolonged diet and where yeah. two things play into it. One, if you if someone comes to you, like I think I find it a lot with female clients. Um it still happens with males. I've just in my experience had it a lot more with female clients. Um that they may come to you when they're on say twelve hundred calories and you put them up to eighteen hundred and all of a sudden they're losing more weight than they ever have before. So they automatically assume, oh well, this more calories has made me lose weight yeah. but one of two things has probably happened one they're now actively accurately tracking all 1800 calories and they're not yeah. eating 1200 calories tracked and 2000 calories untracked <laughs> which is often the case for a lot of people or they do 1200 calories Monday to Thursday and then Friday afternoon comes and they drink Friday night, Saturday night, and get a takeaway on Sunday, and they've been well over the calories over three days. Or yeah. what you touched on before, where you brought up a really good point, that you give someone more food, and they start moving more. 
Yeah. So you'd actually end up burning more calories because you you've got the energy to move around more. Yeah, we see. I think you see that mostly with well, definitely in people who have just finished the prep or people who are really, really lean up and dieting very hard for a decent period. When your metabolic rate is suppressed so much, and your your body is just like, oh fuck, I can't. Like when it, when it feels like you're walking through mud, <laughs> wherever <laughs> you go, then you give someone a hundred calories. The body's like, oh yes, get the fuck yeah, in. I'll walk up the stairs. And I'll take the elevator. Let's do it. Like, like <laughs> and that can actually result in you getting leaner because now you're giving yourself more food, your body wants to move a little bit more and 100 extra calories can can contribute to 150 extra calories burned through movement. Yeah. So that then forces you into an even bigger deficit so you actually get even leaner and leaner. And you see when between shows, when, when people maybe get really lean for their first show of the season and then they'll just increase their calories a little bit between the, maybe the two weeks between the next show and they'll just increase their calories and do a bit of a reverse diet and they'll get fuller, they'll get leaner and that 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 is potentially a possibility for someone. Definitely. Um, last question, this is this is all your bag. Um, I think uh, low-calorie foods, so like when we say low-calorie foods, how do I get more bang for my book so i'm eating less calories how do i make it seem like i'm eating more food well i think it comes down to to structure of your meal so i think going back to what we said at the start is you need to make sure well let's actually i'm gonna gonna start that again we are most satiated by proteins and fiber. So if you can throw in loads of fiber into every meal and a decent amount of protein in every meal, you're going to be more full of them. So the, the biggest one for me is just fill your fucking place with vegetables because there's fuck all calories in them. They're really good for you and they also fill you up massively. Um, so that... That that is the biggest biggest one for me, and it doesn't like don't be one of these idiots who eats like plain chicken with some dry some dry soggy broccoli. Dry soggy that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> some <laughs> some soggy broccoli. Don't don't be one of them because you're not going to enjoy your food. Um, you need to make sure that if you're going to fill your place out with vegetables, you've seasoned it, it needs to taste all right. That's the biggest that, one. Be the That's first. the biggest one I see all the time. Season your food. Yeah. You're on a diet. You're not restricting yeah. taste. You're just restricting some <laughs> calories. Like, make it taste nice. Mm-hmm. Like, it? It's like, again, going back to sustainability, if you're, if you're dieting, you're going to be hungry. And if your food tastes like shit, you're not going to want to eat it. I see people like chicken and rice. And you're going to chicken go and, and rice, that's a bad name, right? Season your chicken. Yeah. People eating boring, yeah. white, plain, unseasoned chicken, wondering why they can't stick to it. Put some marinated chicken, put some rub on it, make it taste nice. Like you don't have to. It doesn't <laughs> have to be bland and boring just because you're losing weight. It's mental, oh, it's isn't just, it? It's mental. Like yeah, just make it, make it fun, make it taste nice. 
like yeah, make it make it fun. Like like even like that you can make yourself healthy curries. Do you know what I mean? Like you can like when I, a massive one for me when I was last cutting was I just for some reason every every so often got a craving for curry. Don't know, it was really weird. It was like every two or three days. So I'd make I'd get I'd I'd I would, it was a beef mince curry yeah. every time. It was really strange. I would get loads of chopped tomatoes, which I've got for I'd track them yeah. obviously, but there was fuck all in them. And just cover the shit in, in seasoning and spice. Loads of curry powder, loads of chili, loads yeah. of cumin, loads of, just everything that was in the cupboard, just whack it in. And then it just makes a curry. And it's like you've just saved like five hundred calories and you're like, having a curry. I think that's one of that's one of my favourite things about being in a deficit. Is the yeah, you, you your enjoyment the in, the of food the goes through the roof. Like if I yeah. if I'm on like four and a half five thousand calories, and you show me some salt and pepper broccoli, I would laugh at you and tell it to get it out my face. But if you put me <laughs> on a rest day, on a deficit, and my last meal of the day has got some salt and pepper seasoned broccoli in it. I am. That shit is the best. That tastes good. Yeah. Like <laughs> when I, I made some chicken in the oven the other day, and I roasted some. I made some salt and pepper chicken in the oven, and I roasted peppers and onions in there. So I just put the peppers and onions in with the chicken and let it all cook together. That was one of the yeah. nicest things. I was like, oh, I've just ordered this from the chippy. This tastes amazing. Yeah. Do you know what I used to do? The weirdest meal you'll ever hear ever. When, when it was getting to the end and I was struggling and I was like, right, I need to eat some food. I've got like 100 calories left. What can I have? I'd get like a full bowl of iceberg lettuce, like a big oven yeah. dish bowl, like not even like a bowl, like a full bowl of iceberg lettuce, loads of hot sauce and just whack in 100 calories worth of cottage cheese and just season yeah, it to yeah, fuck. Yeah. And like that... Is I would never even dream of eating that now, but it used to absolutely just do the job. Like I'd be starving, and I could just eat a full bowl of food, regardless of like hundred calories in it, and it was incredible. And it got me through so many days where I was thinking, oh, "Let me just deep into pregnancy, craving some strange stuff kind of situation." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think. Going back to the question, it's just finding what works for you. Like, make your food taste really good. Get lots of fiber in. Get lots of, um, get lots of protein in. Little tactics, like another one that I used to used to do when I was dieting hard, was just if I'm starving, I've got no calories left. I would literally just down like a full glass of diet coke just as fast as I could, and it would bloat me, and I wouldn't want yeah, to eat yeah, anymore. Yeah, but the zero calories in it, so not going over my calories. Probably not optimal, but. Whatever. Yeah, at that point, at that I point, don't care. That stage, that, it's, I, it's not. Yeah. It's just it overweighs yeah. eating food, doesn't it? Like Definitely. it's not optimal, but it's better than um, nailing a bag of crisp. Yeah. yeah. Over the things like find low calorie snacks if if you don't want to nail loads of diet coke, like fiber one bars, a massive flavor syrup, and ten calories. Them, yeah, ten calorie jellies and stuff them like 10 that. Ten calorie jellies that never have ten calories in, and that really annoys me. Yeah, there's like it's, like three. it's annoying. Like there's yeah. like three calories in it. So why why you? Do you know what I mean? Just say three calories. Are, like flavor syrups are a big one for me. So mm-hmm. like the baby the baby rice, the ground yeah. rice was just getting monotonous. 
And then I found yeah. like Palmer Violet, <laughs> zero calorie syrup. Um, yes. Absolute game changer. <sighs> Even like zero calorie sauces. Yeah, the like there's that skinny food sauces, company. Yeah. Like you can get actual like savory sauce like barbecue and ketchup and all match and like mayonnaise, which has got like fuck all in it. So having a I'd like just have a have a little shop around, find ways to make your food taste really good for, for low calories. Definitely. That's it. That's all our questions. Some really good ones there. So I hope you found the information useful. I hope we've answered some um some of your questions, some of your queries. Thanks everyone for listening. And as always, if you've got any questions, hit us on Instagram at coach.comara and at silverjacks underscore. Speak to you soon.